Chapter Forty Six of Order Number Eleven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Order Number Eleven by Carolyn Abbott Stanley. Chapter Forty Six: The Dove's Call. Within the next few days, the wheels of life began to revolve on Grand Prairie slowly and with some jerks for a good many cogs were missing and the bearings had not been oiled for a long time but with motion enough to show that some day when the gearing was in order it would go again colonel trevelyan and uncle reuben planned together for the fields mammy and virginia for the housing of them all gordon on his own place was busy battling with the horse weeds that had grown up around the house like a thicket of underbrush they were arduous days of making bricks without straw but for all that they were not without their compensation a community of interests and of privations as well brings us close to one another as evening drew on gordon would come back to keswick as they still called the ruins and he and the colonel and virginia would sit on the stone steps that had once led up to the porch and lean against the pillars where the queen of the prairie was trying its best to hide the scars of war and the baltimore bell hung heavy with its seven full clusters roses can do such a mighty work in brightening the face of desolation and then when the colonel got sleepy and went off to the loom house there were always several hours of moonlight left and gordon leaned against his pillar beside the queen of the prairie and virginia against hers under the baltimore bell and it seemed very easy and natural to fall into the old ways of friendly talk but it was never anything more between them always was the length of a step and a great gulf fixed in virginia's heart was still reverberating everybody says they are i'm not sure i don't know and in his was the ever-recurring question which was never answered why in all these days he had not asked her one word as to why his letter had been returned if he had meant to punish her he could have devised no more stinging way if he would only ask her about it she would think but he was too proud to ask what she had done had been unprovoked what she might do would be unsolicited and of course her lips were sealed she had never asked him about the kentucky girl though it had trembled on her lips a hundred times she had talked around it and given him every opportunity to tell her but he never had taken her into his confidence again and again she had said to herself I will ask him about it sometime, just in a friendly way. We are friends, if nothing more. But whenever she started to do it, the hand always clutched her throat, and she could not get the words out. It was all she could do to breathe when that hand had her. He asked her one day to drive over to his home with him. There was something he wanted a woman's taste about. Colonel Trevelyan was going back the next day. 
but it had been decided to leave virginia here with mammy and uncle reuben to get the schoolhouse in readiness for the homecoming that was to be the shelter for the present sometime perhaps keswick might be rebuilt but not now there was fencing to be made and stock to buy and ploughs and harrows and reapers and mowers and corn planters and wagons to be supplied before the house could be thought of in the meantime whitewash was cheap many a jackson county farmer who had lived in luxury before the war was glad now of a shelter and a bucket of whitewash they used it freely even on the tree trunks gordon lay had had a little talk with colonel trevelyan the day before he had asked him some plain questions there were some things he felt that he had to understand things could not go on this way forever it was the first time virginia had been over to his home at keswick the occupancy of the two old negroes had kept the place in partial order but at dr lay's there was nothing left but the house and the trees even the grass was rooted up by swine and the weeds stood high as a man's head around the house they had to bend them aside to reach the door they went through the house together it was forlorn enough but it could be made into a home virginia was thinking with a dull aching at her heart it was the kentucky girl that would do it they went out after a while into the yard down in the corner where the locusts were and the swine had not ploughed a seat scarred like whittier's desk with the jackknife's carved initials had been placed years before between two trees v t was on it and v c t and sally and g l in all varieties of type they sat down on this seat and looked back at the house it is rather a gloomy outlook he said cutting a locust sprout and slowly snipping the leaves away i am afraid it will never be anything more than a house again it will she answered quickly she'll make it into a home for you sally told me gordon i was in hopes you would confide in me yourself but it's all right and i want to say i'm very glad for you she hurried a little but she felt the hand creeping toward her throat and she would not have broken down for a kingdom thank you he said gravely how much did sally tell you only her name and that she was a great belle ah and do you believe virginia that she would be willing to go with me into this desolate place it will not be desolate to her when you are here she said gaily her heart was bleeding but she would not let him see the drops she could bind it up at her leisure he raised his hat with grave courtesy you are so kind to say so and sally well sally's kindness i shall never forget she looked at him with surprised eyes i am sure i can only conjecture as to sally's motives he continued doubtless when we get down to them they will prove truer than her facts they certainly could not be more false in reality sally's thought in writing that news had been 
I'll just make Miss Virginia see how it feels. No, there is only one woman in all the world, Virginia, that could make a home for me here or anywhere, and I've lost her. Her broad-brimmed hat had fallen back, leaving her bare face to his gaze, and he was looking steadily at her. A crimson tide spread over neck and cheek and brow and then receded. Her eyes were on the ground. I don't know what I did, he said gently. It was his gentleness that broke her heart. But I know she was not the girl to do what she did without a reason. Sometime perhaps I shall know. Sometime perhaps she will tell me. Until then, I can wait. There was a moment of painful silence. It was stirred, not broken, for a dove's moan seems the very embodiment of solitude. But a plaintive note down in the pasture, the sweetest, mournfulest cry in all bird lore. Poor fellow, he said, he's lost his mate. Listen, he's calling for her. She flashed a quick smile of recollection at him through her tears. It was what they used to say as children. Just then, there came from far away an answering call so faint, so low it could hardly be heard, but thrilling with the same sad burden of love and longing. She put her hand out toward him with a quick gesture. Her chin quivered a little. She could not quite hold her voice steady, but she met his look bravely. Perhaps they've just got separated she said softly. Listen, she's calling for him, too. Can you hear? It was a faint cry, but he heard. End of chapter 46 Recording by John Brandon